This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. You know my voice is quite low today. Um, This week, and if you're watching this on video and you will see that in the right hand side of the screen is a rather lovely flute player and Hollywood based, well Los Angeles based anyway, but Hollywood flute player and just the most gorgeous person. We have welcome to Gina Luciani. Hello Gina. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Tell me what the weather's like, because I'm English, as you know, and we always like to talk about weather. So please tell me what the weather's (laughs) like, because you know I love California and I love LA, and I presume it's just, it's usual, sunny, hot, gorgeous. Well, I am sorry to disappoint, but it is very cloudy and overcast and has been for two weeks or so. Um, for me, it just makes me really tired. So I've been drinking a lot of coffee lately, which I'm sure you approve of. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, Gina lives not far from my favorite part of California, which is, I just I just love Santa Monica. And she doesn't live far, mm-hmm. I think probably in walking distance, isn't it? Well, you can actually get there by bike. It would be maybe a long walk, but you could, I guess, do it if you if you were very determined. You have those scooters, don't you? The uh, scooters that are rechargeable and just hop on them and dump them off. That's true. That exactly, is... yeah. So you could get there pretty quick with those. Yeah. So let's touch on COVID for a moment. How have you found it in okay. California? Because obviously Europe, we went into the COVID lockdown much sooner than the US. Um and we started unlocking uh, in Europe, uh, obviously, again, much much sooner than the US. Uh, we're beginning to see a bit signs of the second wave. But looking overseas to where the USA is, North America, you still to be it still seemed to be in the grips of the first wave. Yeah, it's. It's been interesting here. They tried to open, start opening things up in May. Um, every state was different, but you know they started with restaurants and things like that, and then eventually went to gyms and uh, hair salons, nail salons. They were pretty quick to shut down nail salons, hair salons, and gyms, and then they are now for the restaurants only allowing outdoor dining. Uh, that might be just uh, LA County. Um, it, it just it fluctuates everywhere. Uh, California is very different than other states, and then LA County itself is very different than other counties in Los or within California. So, uh, but that's where we are currently at. But our numbers here in Los Angeles are very very high. So, this has been a really good time for me to work on some projects that I've been wanting to work on for a very long time and didn't have the time to work on. So that has actually been, um, I guess like the good part of this, like to, you know, always see the best in things that has been the best thing of all of this. And then just, of course, spending a lot of time right now with my fiance. So that's been also very nice. And how's he been coping? Mm -hmm. Because he's a, 
is a film producer, film director, and he writes scores. Uh, how how's he been coping during this period? You know, the great thing is that he had already planned. It's so funny. He literally had planned this year I'm going to be writing because his film came out recently. And so he wanted to create new material. And so this has been kind of, again, a, a blessing in a way that it's just distraction free. He's not really having as many meetings as he was last year and just no outside distractions. So he has finished you know, quite a few scripts actually right now. So by the time this is all done, he's going to have a lot of a lot of new content for him to be able to go out and shoot. So that'll be exciting. So the room you sat in now, you both work in. That's correct, isn't it? Yes. Who takes priority mm-hmm. when he's writing or you're recording? Because you do a lot of digital and, and remote recording, don't you? Yeah. So here's so the nice thing actually with his writing is he can do it anywhere. Um, we have way too many devices. It's kind of insane. We have two desktops. Uh, we now have an iPad Pro and a regular iPad. We have two uh, laptops. Um, so we have a lot of places that we can be working. So depending, most of the time, it's it's been pretty easy in terms of deciding who's using the studio. Uh, of course, like if I have a meeting or he has a meeting, we'll usually uh, try to schedule those around each other. If I'm recording, I'm always in the studio. Uh, but in terms of his writing, he can do that anywhere. A lot of times he'll write out on the balcony. Um, and then if I'm just like working on emails or um, a lot of the stuff I've been doing recently has required a lot of typing and just, you know, more writing than actual music making. A lot of, a lot more than normal anyway. Uh so that I can do on the laptop and I don't necessarily need the studio. So we just kind of prioritize who really actually needs the studio in that moment. Do you have a document where you have to fill it in if you need the room? <laughs> or do you just sort of speak about it on a daily basis? <laughs> no. <laughs> we're, we're pretty good about like evening things out. And we just, you know, the night before in the morning, we'll just say, who needs the studio tomorrow? You know, we'll, we'll have a discussion, a candid discussion like, Oh, I have this thing at this time. There, there have been a couple, couple times that we'll both schedule a meeting or a Zoom call or something at the same time, and we're like, "Oh, that's going to hurt the bandwidth." So then one of us will reschedule. But we're usually pretty good about. Uh, we usually don't both need the studio at the same time, or maybe in a week we'll both need it, but then we'll say, "Oh, well, you need to get this done. Why don't you go in the studio and I can wait and do this till tomorrow?" So it's it's pretty easy with the splitting. And how much remote recording have you been doing? And what type of remote recordings? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So the interesting thing is at the beginning of the lockdown, uh, and I spoke to a lot of my other colleagues that uh, do a lot of remote recording as well, and everything kind of stopped because people didn't know what was going to be happening with productions. People didn't know, you know what was going to be happening to the funding for mm. their projects. So there were a lot of things I was supposed to be recording in March or April that just stopped. And then they came back later. Now it's getting very uh, busy. So for instance, like um, in the last two weeks or so, I've had eight to 10 remote recordings. So it's been incredibly busy and I have quite a few coming up in the horizon too. So um, that has been really nice to have had that and thankfully you know I know a lot of 
musicians were kind of scrambling to mm. get a remote setup. I'm glad that everybody is now jumping on that bandwagon so that they're capable of doing that because I think being a musician, you really need to be versatile and be able to be a chameleon and do whatever is needed of you to work in whatever space you have. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. But um, I know a lot of musicians at the beginning of this never used an audio interface. They'd never use a DAW and they, they were like learning this stuff for the first time, which it's, there's a huge learning curve. So I'm just very thankful that I have been doing remote recordings now for, I've been using Pro Tools for over 10 years. Remote recordings is probably seven years, six or seven years. So, um, but I've been recording myself in Pro Tools way, you know, much longer than that. So I'm just thankful that I had that experience prior to all of this. It made it a lot easier. <laughs> Do you think um, Hollywood film producers will look at, the applications and advantages and budgetary benefits of uh, doing remote recordings for film scores uh, just because it can be cheaper than getting everybody in one place? Or do you think because of the nature of film recording, you, you do actually need everybody in the studio? Hmm, that is an interesting question. My So this is what I've been hearing from a lot of friends that are either composers or engineers. It... <laughs> Because there's not a lot of musicians who are super equipped for this right at the beginning. <laughs> and some of those big projects that they did decide to hire basically an orchestra to record at home, it was a nightmare for the engineer to clean mm. up all of that. Think about, you know, when you're recording at, at any recording studio, no matter the location, you have one room that you're dealing with and one room sound. And so you can, you can get that out very easily or, you know, whatever. But when you're dealing with even 20 recordings, which is, you know, very small for an orchestra, uh, it's more of a small ensemble. They're now having to deal with 20 different room noise, you know, that they're dealing with. So it's just much harder. So I think there's probably a lot more work that they're having to do in post. Although I wonder in terms of budget, it usually takes longer you, because you're engineering it yourself when you're doing a remote recording. So I would say that the budget is, has to be bigger for the actual home remote recording okay, versus doing it in a studio. I don't know. I don't think it, I don't think it could ever replace in person also because, you know, you're feeding off of each other. You're able to match each other. Um, a lot of times when you're doing remote recordings and I have done several that it's a big ensemble recording, you just have whatever mock-ups that they have. You're not playing along with a lot of the other musicians. So if this person chooses to do it slightly this way and this one, uh, goes in the opposite direction, then you know what I mean? It's, it's just not matching the same way it would be if it was in person. And then also the composer isn't there live to give notes. And especially yeah. when you're dealing with a lot of musicians, you can't just say to everybody, hey, you know, um, measure 52, <laughs> let's extend that whole note out one more measure and let's all redo it. That works if if there's only a couple people recording, then sometimes they will, you know, hear everything back and say, let's make these revisions. But with an entire big ensemble, you can't do that uh, when you're remote recording. So. You know, I, I'm glad and thankful that they have we have this opportunity with technology to be able to actually record from home. But I don't think it will ever replace in-person recording. And do you get sent the music on a click? How do, how does it come through? It 
It depends. Sometimes they will send me a Pro Tools session that everything is already uh, in. Sometimes they will just send me the individual stems and I import it and create the session all by myself. So I would import, um, a lot of times they'll give me a full mix with everything. They'll give me one that maybe does not have flute. Uh, Sometimes they'll give me one of just the flute part if there are things that they want me to hear their MIDI like oh we like how in the MIDI it does this or whatever that's hard to follow the MIDI but we do our best and then sometimes they will print the the click track as well Um, but it depends sometimes they'll send me a MIDI that I can import the click track from and it basically that way then I have the entire tempo map laid out I don't have to do it manually but sometimes I do it manually so it just kind of depends on how big the project is how much time they have to actually send me everything um you know it just it's every single project is a case-by-case basis but it's keeping you busy and out of trouble during these this period of lockdown that is true and it's it has got me busy <laughs> and it's wonderful to hear of musicians that are actually still working because the whole industry has been decimated and live music has fallen off a cliff and you know whilst the world has been say suffering badly and we, we can't take yeah. away the the amount of deaths and the people that have been uh, affected by it musicians uh well whilst we've been in lockdown people have been listening to music you've been watching films but ultimately you've been listening to music and without music and without investment back into music you know we are we are going to be in danger of having a generation of students that can't graduate and go into the music industry so there'll just be this hole that's waiting to come up yeah it's it's going to be very interesting and i think a lot of people i i've been seeing things here in the u.s that say oh well just get a new job um (laughs) but at the same time (laughs) and i'm like do you realize how much education i've had and not even just the six years of college but i've been playing since i was four years old and how much work and dedication that that required. And it, it's just crazy for people to just say, oh, change careers. And the other thing that's interesting is when lockdown happened, what did people do? They went and gravitated towards uh, the arts to give mm-hmm. them entertainment. Yeah. They were watching movies at home. Mm-hmm. They were watching TV. They were listening mm-hmm. to music. They were reading books. That is all the arts. So we can't forget that the arts are incredibly important as human beings and no, maybe they don't seem as essential as someone working at a grocery store, but it's something that we still use in our everyday lives. So I think everybody needs to remember that. Yeah. I just think uh, politicians seem to be, uh, they seem to be cold hearted and very one dimensional when it comes to the arts. And you're exactly right. If you're training to be a doctor five, six years, and then you're learning constantly as you go on, you got a lawyer, a judge, a barrister in the professions, you go to university, you do your work and then you qualify and then you do your job. Musicians right. are not like that. Right. You start, as you say, you started Mm-mm. at five or six and you're still learning. And that's the point is that you cannot mm-hmm. be, you cannot go from, going to university or college and then come out the other end and say, I'm going to be a musician. It doesn't work like that. Right. And, and, no. I, and that, it's, it's a lifelong pursuit, yeah. you know, it is. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not really recognized by 
our it's not just the American government, it's I think it's governments around the world, but saying that I've seen quite a lot of support going on in Germany and uh, in, mm-hmm. in in Eastern Europe where they've been trying to get the orchestras back together, socially distanced, and they understand the value of music in society and music in life. Yeah. And talking of music in society and music in life, I know this isn't going out for a little while, so I won't be spoiling anything, but you sent me a little picture, <laughs> and I'd like to talk about this. I do. Can I just hold okay. this up? Look at that. Yes. It's probably back to front, but look <laughs> at that. Tell me now, Carmen Fantasy. Every flute player worth their salt has performed this. But this isn't yeah. any old Carmen Fantasy, is it? So tell me no, firstly the story of why you've taken Carmen Fantasy and you've rearranged it. So tell me the process. What what made you decide on this one piece? How you went mm-hmm. about it, and most importantly of all. To me, because I'm a very much a visual person, it's the stunning cover. So let's go back to the beginning, Gina. Oh, you are you are sat on your balcony yeah. on a sunny day, thinking, <laughs> mm, "What can I arrange?" Well, so what happened is I first heard well the Habanera from mm. from Carmen. Everybody's heard it. I heard that at a very young age, and I just was like, "Oh, that is beautiful. I want to play that." And then uh, pretty soon, just because you know I started so young more advanced students were playing Carmen Fantasy. And I told my teacher, I want to play that. And she's like, you're not ready to play that (laughs) yet. (laughs) Because at the time I was like seven years old or something. So I was not uh, at that level of technical playing to be able to play Carmen Fantasy. So by the time I was in high school, she finally said, you're ready. I think you're ready. She was always very careful to not give me something that was beyond something I could play. Uh, and she wanted to make sure that I was actually ready for it. So I'm very thankful that she did that. So I started it in high school and I loved it. I performed it a bunch and I did competitions with it and everything. And I really enjoyed it. And then when I went to college, I heard different violin versions and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I never thought about it. I was in my wrapped up in my little flute world but I just was like, wow, there's so many different versions and there's so many themes that are missing from the flute version yeah. and uh, not to knock it. It's a, an amazing version, but there were just a lot of themes that I felt like I loved that I wanted to include in it. And so I was having my lessons at the time I was at Colburn with Jim Walker and I was talking to him about it. And so I started research, researching the opera and all these different versions of Carmen Fantasy for different instruments and figuring out the parts that I wanted to lay into this version. And so I just kept working on it. I started probably my sophomore year of college. I eventually performed a version of my version uh, for my senior recital. And then uh, after my master's program, I ended up recording it for the final version for the most part on my debut album. Uh, because I just loved it so much and I've played it in so many recitals and I had never thought oh well people would be interested in playing this I never thought that I just said I'm doing this for myself like a project for myself because I just love playing this piece so much and there's just so much emotion throughout the whole thing and I love that and so then a lot of people started asking me like oh I want to play your version do you have it published And I had kept putting it off, putting it off just because obviously that's a lot of work. I had the flute part kind of roughed in, 
piano part, I had certain sections roughed in, but it was just not put into one booklet and like really clear for someone to play. And so I decided during this, all of this, I was like, I have a little bit of extra time right now. I'm going to do it. And so tomorrow or the next day, I'm going to be sending it off to the printer for the first proof. And I'm going to decide on what material the cover is going to be. But I think this will be really special just because it, like I said, it includes a lot of things that are not on any Mm. flute versions that I have found. And also, I think that it'll be really nice for flute players because I have all the page turns figured out for you. And all it's all situated. I did a lot of work on that because in the past, I've had to do art projects Mm. with this piece to, (laughs) to be able to figure out how am I going to lay this out so I can actually yeah. perform this live? Um, personally, like I do have an iPad and I do have an air turn to turn the pages, but I'm so hesitant on doing that on live performances because I'm just scared I'm going to turn two pages yeah. or it's not going to turn in time. And I would rather rely on physical sheet music for those. So anyway, I put a lot of time into that. And another thing that's unique about it is most of the time the flute versions don't, you know, if you get a score, the piano part or the score has a cover and the flute version does not, yes. like the flute part does not have a cover. And I always was annoyed by that because I was like, but the cover looks nice and why don't I get a cover? <laughs> Just the pianist and the pianist is only playing it a very small fraction of the time that I'm playing it. So I am printing the cover on both parts. So that's that's another little tidbit on it. Um, but I'm very excited about it. And uh, I'm really I'm glad that I can actually share it with people. And it'll be so fun to hear people playing this version. So hopefully when this uh, podcast comes out, I'm I'm thinking I'll at least have a pre-order link up. Wonderful. If not, um, just a, a, a purchase link available. So I. Uh, I'm really excited to finally have it out there. So I'm sure lots of people here would have played common fantasy which right it's as you say it it's not one-dimensional because music is only one-dimensional if you make it one-dimensional but right. you're exactly right when you hear a violin player playing the common fantasy it doesn't sound like the flute version but also they have so much more inflection in it there is they they take mm-hmm. liberty with the themes they sort of draw you in what have you changed from the one that we all know to the new one that you've written? Yeah, so there's a lot of new sections. One big difference is like the whole opening that's on the main, the primary flute version, the whole first page. It's lovely, but it's actually not from the opera. It was written by the composer. So that (laughs) is not in it anymore. I wanted everything to be actually from the the opera. So the slow section right before the habanera, I swapped out for something else. And it's, it's much more emotional and it, it just, it just, it's, it's really sad and heartbreaking. And then you go into the habanera and which is a completely different character, which I switched up the habanera actually quite a bit. Uh, It's not just this really straight thing. So I think, I think there will be a lot of surprises. It's, it's reminiscent of the flute version for sure. And there's parts that you will recognize, but there's also a lot of changes and surprises. So I think people will have fun with that. And I do have a recording of it on, like I said before, Mm -hmm. on my album. So if people are interested in hearing what that is before actually getting this sheet music, that way they can actually hear what the different sections are. But uh, like, just for an example, 
I added just to the front end of it, I added more than four pages to the front end. So uh, quite a few new sections and very virtuosic, very like showing off your technical skills. So if you like that kind of thing, I think this piece will be a really good fit for you. Do you think your Latin roots help, roots help you with something like this? To understanding the I feel? Wonder. Well, I, I wonder. I, I think maybe that was part of the reason I was drawn to it is because on my dad's side, I'm like Italian and Spanish. So I definitely think that there was there was a good part of that that influenced me in this. And, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, I was a dancer actually before I was a flute player. So I started dancing when I was three and then flute when I was four and a half. Um, but then when I was in high school, like junior high and high school, I did ballroom dancing and I loved the Latin dances. I did a little flamenco, not a whole lot, which obviously would be inspired of Carmen, but um, I did a lot of things like cha-cha and samba and rumba and, you know, all those dances, which I have so much fun doing. So uh, I definitely think that it did influence me um, with my obsession about this piece. And then you go on stage and as a flute player, you mostly stand still. <laughs> you, you don't, you, know, you're, you're, right? not meant, you're not meant to do the, uh, the dancing <laughs> and the, the hip swinging. It would be a little bit difficult on this one just because it is so technically involved. I don't think you could really <laughs> be dancing while you're playing. I think I would love to see it done though. So if somebody ends up learning this piece and can do a flamenco dance to it, I would love to see that. <laughs> well, I, I, I've actually heard the piece. So I would strongly recommend, Gina, where can people find this piece to listen to before they download the music? Yeah, I mean, it's on iTunes and mm-hmm. Spotify. But also it's on, it just to make it easier for you, it's on my website. So GinaLuciani.com and it's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's easier link from the website because if you put in Karma Fantasy on Probably, Spotify yeah. or anywhere else, you end up with the, the usual one that one gets. Now, that. Right. How did you come across the red rose? Because your eyes are just taken to that and the font, it sort of perfectly matches. That, I mean, choosing a font is hard enough in itself. But to come across yeah. with the red rose, that is so unusual. Yeah. So the thing is, is that I think a lot of sheet music looks boring from the cover. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the music is boring. I'm just saying that it's just very, you know, basic cover. And some of the pieces that I've been the most excited to play in the past, they've had a unique cover. And I wanted to instill that uh, emotion in people when they started playing this. And just from the very start, from opening up the sheet music, seeing that cover, I want you to get excited about playing this. So I said, when I was designing this, I was just like, I need to have something that is original, something that captivates and uh, shows exactly what I think Carmen is. And I, I was trying to think, I was like, well, you know, I don't want it to be so, I don't want it to be such a big display of artwork that that's all you're paying attention to is the artwork and not like the actual text and but so I was like what in a simplistic form is like the essence of Carmen and then immediately I thought of the red rose and I'm very lucky because my fiance is very good at designing I'm not going to take the credit for the design (laughs) I had the inspiration I said let's do it this way and then he helped me facilitate it but also even just with the fonts yeah um I wanted something that looked older but still looked clean and minimalist and new 
and progressive. So that that was the that was the inspiration behind it. To me, you're exactly right about music and the artwork on the front. You see, in the olden days, when I was growing up, you know, you'd go out and you'd get your vinyl, your album, and the album cover was so important to drag you in. Exactly. And that mm-hmm. didn't take you away from the music contained within this circular disc. Yeah, I am old, but it's important. And there is nothing wrong with going back to that artwork, sort of creating the artwork, not only within with the dots and blobs and all that, but with the cover. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, if you think about it, when you have a a feeling when you pick up, you know, for me, it was more CDs, but my parents had a lot of uh, (laughs) albums. (laughs) We had a lot in our house, I will say, and we did play them. I was able to operate a record. record machine what do you i don't know how to say it record Record player player record player oh my god i I sound like (laughs) such an idiot right now but um i know how to operate it but uh the thing is is like you know i just remember getting my first cd seeing that artwork and it makes me feel something initially when i see it absolutely and then that translates to then listening to it so i think it should be the same way with sheet music that you see a cover you feel a certain way when you see that cover and then that also carries on to when you're actually playing it. And then you have a certain emotion attached to the cover of it rather than it just being a blue thing with like text on it. And there's there's nothing else. Well, you've got it in one. There's a correlation Pardon? with what your fiance does, which is film producing, film directing and film invention in that the poster, I'm looking at a poster behind you, is so important mm-hmm. to the success of a, a movie it yeah. could almost kill it couldn't you it? have if to you... tell a story with that yeah you know you have to tell the story because if somebody sees a poster and it looks boring they're not going to be like hmm, i wonder what that is <laughs> i should i should you know i should check this out at least watch a trailer it's the same thing i think with sheet music and there's so many i feel like it's a missed opportunity to be completely honest with you that you have a blank you know, it's just like a blue background with text over it. It's like, well, what is this piece about? Like, what is the feeling of this piece? Did you even choose blue because you feel like that has a correlation with the music? Or just because you you have a bunch of covers and you're just trying to use all the mm. different colors? You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But personally, I just wanted something that was different, that would stand out, that would make you excited to actually play this piece. Well, I love the cover and I love the, the idea that flute playing will go back to covers again actually take it seriously like the old album covers and by the way i did grow up yeah. after the wax you know the wax syndical uh, right recordings <laughs> i'm slightly old uh, younger I than love that, that. <laughs> <laughs> so now so karma fantasy that fantasy that's going to be out or well, there'll, there'll be links everywhere on this after this podcast anyway yeah um, it'll be at least september or mm-hmm. i would say at the very latest october 1st i just want to make sure when it's printed that it's perfect I take a lot of pride in making sure everything is as perfect as I can make it before putting it out for other people to see. And that's, you know, same thing with everything else that I do, like my videos and everything like that. I just want to make sure that I, I put out the best content. So, um, but like I said, sometime, most likely September, um, if not October 1st is when this will be coming out. We'll, we'll make sure the podcast comes out after release so that there is direct correlation and it's nice and fresh because Carmen needs to be freshed up, freshed up, freshened up, <laughs> needs to be freshened up because <laughs> we've all heard it. And 
I remember Paul Edmund Davis saying, you know, for a Sicilian, it's not a boring piece. It's because we all think it's boring and we all play it boring. It should be exciting right. every time you play it. And for me, Karma Fantasy, I won't say it's boring, but I've heard it and played it a lot of times. And the thought of taking mm-hmm. something, and I remember when Mike Moa rewrote Carmel in Venice, you, it sort of gives it a yeah. life. It gives it a new energy. Mm-hmm. And Carmel Fantasy is such a wonderful story. And as you say, when you hear it played by a stringed instrument, they do so much more. So I look forward to this, Gina. Oh, good. Thank you. I mean, when I was learning the piece, I really did listen to a lot of string players interpretations just because a lot of flute players just play it very straight. Mm. And I wanted to give it a personality. And so I also like even within the articulation, I would really make sure to include the slurs or or like accents or anything like that to just help help whoever is playing it know like at least my interpretation of course everybody should do their own interpretation but uh to just kind of give you an idea of where to start with the piece again when you when you hear the the standard piece you you get the note and you you do hear it play quite straight and they try Mm -hmm. and do people flute players try and do little inflections but when you hear the string player they take a lot of liberty with the thematics Mm -hmm. And have you managed to sort of score that in, have you? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And what's after this one? Common Fantasy? Then what? <laughs> well, I actually, I do have an arrangement of Ave Maria from Piazzolla, which most flute players don't know of. Um, it's really beautiful. The first time I heard it, I think it's originally for cello and piano. Um, but I did include that in my album and I made my own arrangement of that. So that will probably be my next sheet music projects you just go from one project to another you're so busy you're always smiling and you're always so enthusiastic <laughs> and you know this day and age it's it's quite hard to find musicians that are sort of always positive and i don't know if it's a californian lifestyle or it's just actually i've known you <laughs> long i've known you long enough gina it's you oh <laughs> well thank you i don't know i just i i think it's really important to have different projects in mind because I don't know. I, I just don't want to be on my deathbed and thinking like, oh, what did I do with my life? So I just want to be able to have to be able to say everything I want to say in my lifetime. And so right now I'm working on three different projects that I've been wanting to do, Carmen being one of them. And I already have I already know what I'm doing after I finish these three projects. The goal is all three of them will come out this fall. And then afterwards I have three or four other projects that I want to work on next so I'm always looking to the future enjoying the present but always looking to the future of what I'm going to be doing with my with music in general what drives you each morning when you work when you wake up um I just get excited about projects uh the ones that I've been currently working on it's been actually been really nice because I'll be completely honest with you I think the beginning of the lockdown and everything, it was difficult for me. Uh, There were times I put out a lot of videos at the beginning just because people were asking me certain questions and I wanted to help out as much as possible, but I got burnt out and it was just hard to motivate myself. I was still working a lot, but it was just hard to feel really passionate about what I was actually doing. It felt more like work or a chore. And I try as much as possible for my work to be fun and something that I'm looking forward to. And luckily, in the last month or so, I've just been very excited about everything that I'm currently working on. And so I'm kind of like 
back in the cycle of things in the groove and I'm just constantly working on different things and it's been really fun and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot so that's probably the reason I do it is because it's fun. (laughs) Ultimately we have to smile and we it's when we spoke before we uh, started the podcast it's you work with what what you have you work with the situation you have if you can't change it then you work with it and so you you and your your lovely fiance you've taken this time you've taken a step back think right what can I get done how can I do it and you've almost prepared for lockdown to finish and to come out the other side right well and the thing is too is I think this is making people reevaluate which we had talked Mm. about our careers and how we do it and how to facilitate it in the most efficient way but I think it also has been Uh, a good learning time hopefully for people that they realize what really matters in their life and what what are the necessities in your life is that a certain person is it your family you know those kinds of things what is it that you truly miss right now like we've been talking about traveling so much lately and just oh I want to be traveling right now and we have all these points uh, like on our like uh, we have like the chase sapphire um, that gets a lot of airline points and a lot of miles. And we have miles for four round trips for both of us. And we just want to use them right now. We're like ready to go. And unfortunately can't do that. So right now we're banking trips that we are doing all the planning so that let's say when things open up and we're like, Oh, we have two weeks free here. Let's go on a vacation. We could book it a week out or whatever, and we'd have all the information and planning done. So that's another thing we've been working on during lockdown, which has been fun. fun. Uh, well, as usual, Gina, it's been fabulous. It's been wonderful. And I know despite the time difference, and sorry for waking you up this morning, it's... Uh, no Because <laughs> we're only seven hours, actually, aren't we? Sometimes it's eight, and uh, I do get con- Yeah, I do get depending on the time. Yeah. yeah. In fact, when I come over to LA, it's always the going back that is worse for me. Is it the same for you when you come to Europe? I actually find it coming back harder personally, but maybe that's just because you have to like, you're kind of excited about the new place you're going to and there's new experiences. But then when you go back home, you're going back to the routine. I don't know what it is, but I remember the last time we went on a trip, I was waking up at two or three o'clock in the morning. And not able to sleep whatsoever. So oh yeah, I don't, that that, I don't hap- know. that happens for me. Is going back home, coming back to uh, yeah. Lon- London. You're, you're flying overnight, and yeah. uh, I'm not a great sleeper. And you've got to stay awake the whole of the next day, which has always been hard for me. Oh, that's super hard. Yeah. yeah. So what have you got planned for the remainder of the day? Bearing in mind it's early there and getting on here. Right. Yeah, it's not even noon here. So what I'm going to be working on the rest of the day is finishing up Carmen. Probably I'm gonna. Hopefully, fingers crossed, send it off to the printer today. So that is that's my goal for the day. So that's kind of exciting. I'm gonna play through it one last time, make sure everything is as perfect as I can make it, and uh, work on that, and then off on the next project. Well, on behalf of all of us here on Talking Flutes, you know, <laughs> I really wish a lot of success with Common Fantasy. It's you know, it deserves a new lease of life, and it looks like you've given it one. So. I, I wish it well and I wish you well in fact I wish you both well there in Los Aww, Angeles thank you and yeah I hope you guys stay safe and healthy you and your beautiful family 
Thank you. You know, I, I miss our, our little evening dinners, both, all of us. So uh, I know. <laughs> and Fe, I know. I'm so bummed. And I then know. next year with oh. Nam, it's not going to happen. No, yeah, it's, it's we not. don't get our Trevor James family time. No. So I th- actually think perhaps we should do a, a TJ Zoom get lots of people on the zoom we, we, we all should. we all get a glass of wine and we just sit and have a chat and we have a we have a Let's laugh and slowly get pickled as we do it <laughs> <laughs> yes i am so down you just tell me when even if i am drinking at 11 in the morning i'll just have a mimosa or something <laughs> you guys have wine i'll have a mimosa you know <laughs> Gina, thank you once again for your time. You're so sweet and generous with it. And, you know, I look forward to, you know, one day getting on a plane or even welcoming you back to UK. Because it'd be nice to see you both in in London one day. Yeah, hopefully soon. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's all my pleasure. And thank you all for listening to Talking Flutes Extra this week. Next week, I believe it's Claire. If it's not Claire, it will be me. So having a wonderful week ahead. Yeah, we, you know what it's like, Gina. Sometimes I'll put two up and sometimes <laughs> Claire will do one. And uh, sometimes we'll fight for little places. That's the good bit about Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra. So wishing you all a wonderful musical week ahead. And may your topsy be particularly in tune. Goodbye. <laughs> Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.